You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Hey, today we're continuing our, our theme of revival, and like I said, originally, in, in my mind, uh, I had a nice little uh, clean packaged uh, three-week revival series for you guys that we were going to do in January, and February was going to be something different. However, as always, God's plan is plan A, and so he continues to, to uh, reveal things to me as I go to him in prayer each and every week, and I believe that today is, is uh, simply a continuation of the last two weeks. We've been talking about really defeating this spirit of complacency. We've been talking about how God has just kind of shown us that there's this spirit of complacency that has kind of taken over the Tulsa area and taken over, if we want to call it, the Bible Belt, if you will. And it's this spiritual complacency, which is a, uh, if you just look it up, it's, it's, it's smugness. It's a self-satisfaction. And uh, we talked about it a few weeks ago, we talked about being lukewarm and how to identify if we're, if we're doing that. Last week we talked about the oil of revival, seeking after the presence and the power of God. And today I specifically want to talk about re- choosing and pursuing revival over complacency. Revival over complacency. How do I know that I'm pursuing the right thing? How do I know that I'm, I'm running after something and I'm not just... Um, getting into this routine because I think in America many times this has happened to me and I think it happens to us easily. We get into a routine of Christianity which is well I go to I go to work and then I go home and then uh, I, I go to work and I go home and I go to work and I go home and it's Sunday so I go to church and then I go home and then I go to work and I go home and I just do this vicious cycle over and over and over and without even knowing it it's like a rocking chair. It's just rocking us spiritually to sleep. It's like that Sunday afternoon rocking chair nap. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, man, this is actually pretty comfy, you know? And I can, the sun's shining and I can just turn on some golf and I can just go to sleep. But what God is showing me is that this spirit of complacency is actually um, forcing many Christians to sleep through the best years of their life spiritually. And that's the dangerous part of it. We're sleeping through the best years of our life spiritually where we should be taking ground. We should be seeing breakthrough. Our families should be changing. But what are we doing? We're actually sleeping spiritually rather than going and and stewarding the kingdom and moving forward. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at a very interesting story. We're going to go back to one of the stories from the the life of Elisha. And we're going to look at a very interesting story. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 13. Let me read it and then we'll talk about how does it apply to us uh, today. Um, Let's read it. A lot of wild things in the life of Elisha in 2 Kings. It's a good read if you're just looking for some, uh, some wild stuff. Go read 2 Kings. Uh, let's start in verse 14. It says, Elisha had become sick with the illness in which he would die. So here's Elisha. He's at the end of his life. He's basically on his deathbed here. Then Joash, the king of Israel, uh, came down to him and he wept over his face. And he said, oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. We'll come back to what does that mean. Uh, verse 15. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and he stopped. 
And the man of God was angry with him, and he said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you have destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. So here's what he says. There's a lot to unpack here, but he says, you should have struck the ground multiple times. It would have guaranteed your spiritual success. It would have guaranteed his physical success, but our spiritual success. He says, you should have kept striking. Why did you stop at three? And honestly, I think, uh, let's talk about Joash for a second before we get too far into it. Joash was a wicked king of Israel, but he didn't start out that way. And this is exactly how the spirit of complacency works. At one point in our life, we're passionate about God. We just received him. We just got water baptized, whatever it is. We are passionate. We're digging in. We're reading his word. We're active in church. But then somewhere along the way, we get lulled to sleep. And before we know it, it's not just like I woke up and I totally did something else. I've just been drifting. It's a small adjustment here and a small adjustment there. In fact, many times the enemy's greatest plan is just to adjust your thinking or your behavior by one degree. One degree. Anybody in here ever uh, go to the, the shooting range and, and shoot some guns? Anybody? If you know what I'm talking about. If you go and you, and you shoot and the farther away you are from your target, if that is off, even just a hair, literally a hair, a, a centimeter, if it is off that much, if I move, if I flinch that much, by the time that bullet gets to the target, it has well missed. And that's the enemy's game for us. Sometimes for Christians, he's not coming to try to ruin your life. He's coming to say, let me just adjust your beliefs this much. And it's so subtle, we don't even know that it happened. But at the end of in five years and in 10 years and beyond, and when my kids are starting to grow up, all of a sudden I realize, how did I get here when I thought I believed this? And that's the enemy's game. This is what happened with Joash. He started out the right way. In fact, he was raised in the temple until he was seven years old. He was instructed by the priests. He knew better. He knew God. He knew the things of God. He knew the one true God. It's important to remember that Joash was not necessarily a a worshiper of false gods, though you could say that, but I think it's more important to say he was a false worshiper of the true God, and that's lukewarm Christianity. He's a false worshiper of the true God. He was the king. He was in the position He did a lot of the right things, but he was counterfeit. He was a counterfeit worshiper. Joash was concerned, so here he shows up. He sees Elisha. He's on his deathbed, this great man of God who's done crazy things for um, for Israel. And he shows up, and he's concerned. Why is he weeping this way? He's concerned that the true strength of Israel is about to depart from this earth and leave with Elisha. When Elisha dies, the true strength of Israel is going to be gone. That's his belief. That's why he's weeping and he's, he's coming back and he's thinking, oh, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? Even as a wicked man, this is what he's saying. So this is why Elisha gives him the illustration of faith. Shoot the arrow. Let me put my hands on your hands. Let's shoot the arrow and go. But here's what I would say. This is a great indication of, of, of this complacency, the spirit of complacency. Many times, the first step to complacency is when our hope is in people rather than in God and God alone. His hope was where? Elisha, the man of God. If he fails, we all fail. This is why it's so tricky. So many people, they follow, yeah, you need to be under a pastor, you need to be in a local church, yes. But when that pastor becomes your Lord and Savior, we've crossed the line. And so when that pastor falls or when they mess up or when they don't do something right like they should... And and no matter how it's handled, if I walk away from God, it's a good indication that my hope was in a person, not in God and God alone. 
My, my Savior was a human. My Savior was not Jesus. This is a first step of complacency. And, and my pastor growing up, he would call it spiritual hitchhiking, where, where they're just, you know, he, you, you, it's like you're standing on the side of the road spiritually and you have your thumb out and you're waiting for your pastor to come by on his, in his vehicle so you can hop in for a little bit and then go for a little bit and then you hop off a little bit later. But you're not getting in your own car. You're not doing your own work. You're not progressing yourself. You're just waiting for someone to pick you up and to move you on. And this is what happened with the king. Here's the other thing I'll say before we dive into how this applies to us. He says, strike the ground. Strike the ground. As I dug into this, many theologians believe that it wasn't just that he grabbed the rest of the arrows and he hit the ground, you know, three times. That's what it seems like when you read it, but when you actually read into it and we look at the original language and we look at some of the context of it and some of the phrases and verbiage that they would use during this time, he was actually saying, take more arrows with your bow and go to the window and shoot the arrows, striking the ground outside with the arrows. Which this makes sense. Why did Elisha put his hands on the king's hands? To show you what to do. Now he says, I've shown you, now you do it. There was no target out the window. There was no enemy out the window. It was a by faith, shoot this. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Shoot this out there. Now you continue to shoot. Even after I am symbolically gone, you continue to shoot. Strike the ground. So now that we know that, we can read this with some context and dive into how it applies to us. Strike the ground, not just hit the arrows, continue to shoot the arrows. Here's the first thing when it comes to revival over complacency is we've got to be, we have to realize commitment overcomes complacency. Commitment, personal commitment to God and his word, it overcomes complacency. How do I overcome it? How do I defeat it? How do I make sure it doesn't latch on to me? Commitment. I, and I have to ask myself, am I personally committed to God and his word? Really, not just making myself think that I am. Am I really committed to God? Am I really committed to his word? Let's look back at verses 18 and 19. He said, uh, then he said, take the arrows. So he took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and he stopped. And the man of God was angry with him. And he said, you should have struck five, six times or, or more. Then you would have struck Syria till Syria you had destroyed it. But now you're only going to defeat them three times. So what? He says, you're going to have three victories and then you'll be defeated. You're going to get your hopes up, three, to three victories, then you'll be defeated. Rather than if you would have kept shooting and striking, you would have seen the full victory come through. Can I tell you this? Sadly, most people, and I don't think they would ever verbalize this, but they believe this in their heart. Most people are satisfied with half of the breakthrough that God has invited them into. They wouldn't ever verbalize it because I don't think they know how to. And maybe you're sitting in here and maybe you've felt this before. But they're satisfied with half of the breakthrough that God has invited them into. And here's why. One pastor said it this way. I believe it was Judd Wilhite. He said this, a familiar captivity is more comfortable than an unfamiliar freedom. Let me say it again. A familiar captivity is more comfortable than an unfamiliar freedom. I've always had this addiction I don't know what my life would be like without this addiction. I've always had this sickness or illness. I don't know what it would be like to move past it. I've always had this trauma in my life. I don't know what it would be like to move past it. I've always had this stress. I don't know what it would be like to live without it. And that's the trick of the enemy. He wants to give you things that you make your crutch 
that you have to carry with you the rest of your life. And as much as I hate to say this, some people like being miserable. Have you ever met somebody like that? Always something, always something. I'm not talking about there's not real crises that happen. Yes, there is. But some people invent their own crisis or when they move past it, they go back to the one that they did and they reinvent it and stir it up again and make it happen again. Some people like being miserable. They like being stressed. Some people like being sick. Some people like being so busy that their heads spin and their, their, their schedule's so busy that they don't have time for anything else. They don't have time for the things of God. They don't have time for things that's going on around them. And the, the devil's allowed them to get so busy that God can't even use them. Their, their schedule's busy with their things, not with God's things. So this is, this is what we look at here is some people are, are satisfied with half. But friends, can I tell you, that's not God's will for you. God's will for you is to have complete freedom. Elisha says strike, and Joash does, but not enough to have total victory. Partial victory, not total victory. Enough to feel a little of the pressure release, but not enough to actually walk out in freedom. And here's what happens. Another pastor said it this way. We tend to pray enough to ease our conscience, but not enough to make a difference. I'll raise my hand. I'm guilty on that. We, we tend to pray enough to ease our conscience. I prayed about it but not enough to make a difference. There's power in persistent prayer. Persistent prayer. Before I get to diving into that, let me say this. Commitment overcomes complacency. How do we know when we are beginning to um, not be committed? People who aren't committed make excuses. People who aren't committed make excuses. So let's talk about this for a second. Let's read between the lines. We think of all, you can think of all the excuses that the king could have made, but none of them are valid. Let's talk about it for a second, how it applies to us. The king could have said, well, I stopped shooting because I didn't want to be presumptuous. I didn't want to ask too much of God. I stopped shooting because I didn't want to ask too much. Many times we say, I, well, I stopped believing for that because I wasn't sure God actually cared. Many times the king could have said, well, I stopped shooting because I'm not a very good archer. Yet sometimes we say, well, I stopped praying because I'm not very good at praying. The king could have said, I stopped shooting because Elisha didn't help me more. <laughs> Many times we say, well, if my pastor would just preach on this or do what I suggest or change that, then I could, right? The king could have said, I stopped shooting because I thought three was plenty. Yet many times we say, well, I prayed once and nothing happened, so it must not be God's will. The king could have said, I stopped shooting because I didn't think it would really do any good. And many times we say, well, I don't tithe, I don't give to the church because I don't know if it's really biblical or if it even makes that big of a difference. The king could have said, well, I stopped shooting because I wasn't in a shooting mood. I didn't feel like it that day. Yet many times we say, well, I don't have a daily quiet time with God because I'm not a morning person, I'm not a reader, I don't know where to start, I don't have time. The king could have said, I stopped shooting because I didn't want to get overexcited. And here's the big one right here. I didn't want to get overexcited. Yet many times we say, I didn't want to ask for that thing, believe for that thing, because I didn't want to get my hopes up. Can I tell you, faith is all about getting your hopes up. And here's what I would, here's what I would say. When God invites us to take something by faith, we must receive it boldly. 
not passively. When he says, take it by faith, we must receive it boldly. And we ask him, knowing that he's a great king, he's a giver who is honored by bold, reverent requests. Let me say that part again. He is a giver, a great king who is honored by bold, reverent requests. Yes, I respect him. I honor him. I have a reverent fear of him. But I come to his throne boldly proclaiming his word over my life and saying, God, your word says this, and I'm going to believe that, and I'm going to speak that until I see it come to pass in my life. This is why Colossians 4 says this, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. I, even in preparation, I had to ask myself, does my, does those two words that are highlighted, earnestly and vigilant, does that describe my prayer life? daily. Not in crisis mode, right? It's easy to be earnestly in prayer, vigilant in prayer when it's crisis time. I'm in the hospital, something crazy has happened, or finances, whatever it is, I've lost my job. Easy. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about daily, earnestly in prayer. Continue being vigilant in it. Let's look at Hebrews eleven six. 6. We all know this one. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And what? He's a rewarder to those who diligently seek him. Commitment, personal commitment to not just God, but his word. And when I do that, what happens? It begins to destroy complacency in my life. I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it passionately. And I'm going to eliminate excuses. I have to... I've got to, I've got to look, look, personal commitment to God and his word is the first step to overcoming complacency. I've got to stop making excuses and I have to start making progress. But here's the good news. That doesn't mean that we have to do the miraculous. Here's what we do. It's point number two. I've got two points for you today. The, the second one's this. Shoot and don't stop shooting. Shoot and don't stop shooting. Because see, what will happen is the enemy will take everything we just talked about, excuses and all this other stuff, and you'll start to feel condemned, and you'll start to feel like, well, I'm a bad Christian. I need to do more. You may need to make some adjustments. You may need to get better in a few areas, yes. However, the miraculous is not your responsibility. Obedience is. Let's, let's remind ourselves of these verses. Verse 17 says, open the east window, and he opened it, and Elisha, Elisha said, shoot, and he shot, and he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria for you must strike the Syrians, right, and have, until you destroy them. And take the arrows, so he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and he stopped. Let's remind ourselves, the arrow wasn't meant to hit an enemy. It was meant to chart um, a prophetic course of action. He wasn't open the east window and, and you know, shoot that king, the enemy king. That's not what he's doing. It's a prophetic course of action. And many times it was common in those days for a commander to shoot an arrow into the enemy's territory to signify that the charge was about to begin. It served as a visual command that now is the time to advance. We're going forward now. So he shoots the arrow. When King Joash had the opportunity to shoot the arrow or arrows, it most likely seemed to be a very small thing to him. Think about it. This, this old, he's a man of God, yes, but he's on his deathbed. If he helped me shoot the first arrow, it must have felt like a simple task. It seemed small to him. He did not know that God's plan for what? A nation. And his seemingly small actions were vitally connected. He didn't realize that his small act of obedience and the future of a nation were vitally connected. 
And this is why so many times we overlook basic obedience to God's word. But also that's the warning if I overlook basic obedience to God's word. The future of not just my life, but my family's life, my family tree in the future, my future generations, and for all we know, nations hang in the balance of our decision of obedience. Yes, he was a king, but all he had to do was shoot some arrows to get victory. Elisha said, open the window and shoot the arrow in faith. So here's the, here's the truth. Success in the kingdom of God is obedience. How do I know if I'm, if I'm winning? How do I know if I'm successful? Are you obeying? That's what it comes down to. Success in the, in the kingdom is obedience. Let God handle the outcome. Success is, I, I, we need to feed these 5,000 people. I have a lunch. That's success. You can use mine. Success is obedience. Cooperation is the necessary partnership to see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it, but what is he looking for? Cooperation. Who can I partner with? Who can I use? What's your faith? What's the level of your faith? How many times will you shoot the arrow and strike the ground? According to that, you will have victory. How, many, how, how dedicated, committed am I to seeing it through? One act of obedience in your life can change your entire family tree. In fact, I'll let you know that this church exists because generations ago, in fact, my, grand, my grandpa, he made a decision. He looked at his family that was full of, of brokenness, addiction, divorce, sin, all of it. He looked at it and he said, enough's enough. Stops with me. And he was man enough to put his pride aside and come down front to the altar and give his life to Jesus. And because of that, this church exists. Because without that decision, I can promise you, I, we've, we've had family reunions. <laughs> I know the other side of the family. I've seen other places that their grandpa didn't make that decision. This place doesn't exist. One act of obedience can change everything. It's our job to advance the kingdom then. The level of our faith and expectations, the level which we, revival will be poured out. But if we become, hear me in this, if we become complacent, comfortable, satisfied with who we are or where we've been, then we have forfeited the opportunity to help lead revival in this city, starting with your own family. If I become complacent, satisfied, just okay with who I am now or where I've been, if I don't have a little fire to continue in the future in faith and in boldness, I sacrifice and I forfeit the opportunity to lead revival in this place. In fact, I love what in Psalms 2, here's what it says. He says, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Ain't this a bold, isn't this, this is bold for God to say. But he's saying, how, how much are you willing to ask for in faith, according to his word, not just stuff that you, you wish would happen, but does it align with his word in your life? Because his word is your will, his will for your life. Ask. And so here's my question. As we look around even today, I love, I love that we've transitioned to rows, but then like I said last week, I see empty chairs and I have names for a lot of those chairs that I'm praying for that I texted Friday and Saturday to invite to church that I know they need to be here. So the question is this, when it comes to revival in the church, are you satisfied with the current state of the church? Empty chairs, 
are missed opportunities. Right? We may put on the brakes and say, well, I don't want the church to get too big. Right? But here's what I would say. Do you know someone that doesn't know Jesus that's going to hell? If you do, the church isn't too big. I'm not anti-small church or anti-big church. I'm just saying, we have personal, each of us, not Pastor Dan, we all have personal responsibility to the people God has trusted us with in our lives. He's put them there for you to show them Jesus and to lead them into the kingdom. And if they're not here, if they're not no, at least connected somewhere in a church, the church ain't big enough. We got some work to do. So here's what I would ask. Are you, do you have the faith to believe that God wants to use Abide Church to not just be a part of, but to lead revival in our region? Because I do. I'm passionate about it. You know, the first part of the, the, this, this time talking about revival I was, it was by faith, all right, God, I'm trusting you that you put this word, word in my heart that it's by faith, but can I tell you that God's stirring something new in me personally, in my family, and I believe he's stirring something new in this church. It's a, it's a fresh fire for what he's about to do, and we've got to prepare ourselves, and just changing the chairs around is, is one small step in faith to what he's about to do, but here's, a, here's what he says, shoot and what? Strike the ground, keep on, keep on shooting. And so for us, it's the same way. We're going to strike the ground until revival pours out. We're not going to stop. We're going to keep shooting. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep seeking. We're going to keep inviting. We're going to keep going until revival pours out. We're going to strike the ground until the full weight of God's glory fills this place. And we see miraculous things happen. We're going to go after it. We're going to strike the ground until the rivers of living water flows out and it floods the region, bringing revival to the Bible belt again. Come on. There are people counting on us. They don't even know it yet. They're just waiting for an invite. They're just waiting for someone to say, come and see. You may say, Pastor Dan, is it really that big of a deal? Let me show you this, this quote from Spurgeon. He says this. So there'd be some who think that hearing the gospel is a little thing. It's just one church service. Is that really that big of a deal? Here's what he says. Life, death, and hell, and worlds unknown may hang upon the preaching and hearing of a single sermon. Is church, is church really that big of a deal? Yes, it is. Absolutely it is. It's the hope of, it's the, hope of the world. It's the body of Christ, meaning this. It is what God, Jesus would be doing if his physical body was still here. That's what the church should be. So that's what we're striving for. That we're going to walk in, in, in God's presence and in his power, and we're going to see his kingdom come, as will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But where does it start? Church. When I look around, if you look around next to you or even behind you and you see an empty chair, who do you know that God's put on your life and put in your heart to invite and to bring? That's far from him. I'm not here to grow a huge ministry for, for me. But I am here, anointed by God, and I believe to lead revival for this region. So why do we want to more room, bigger, bigger numbers, because I know I have at least 15 people I can list right now that don't know Jesus, but God's put them in my life. And so I say, yes, Lord, I'll reach them. I'll invite them. I'll pray for them. I'll meet them where they're at, and I'll do everything I can to introduce them to you. We must choose personal commitment over complacency. We must shoot in faith and keep on shooting. Pray, invite, 
go after. Don't underestimate the power of what a single prayer, a single text, a single invite to church may do. Someone else's family tree may be changed because you text somebody and said, will you come to church with me? Life, death, hell, world's unknown, hang in the balance. God said, ask and what? I'll give you the nations. Not so you can set up your own kingdom. I'll give you the nations to reach for me. I'll give you the nations. So I say, church, let's ask God to give us the city of Tulsa, Broken Arrow, Wasso, Claremore, Bixby, Sand Springs, everybody else. Come on, get in there. And the region and the Bible Belt. Come on. There are hurting people who need to hear the gospel. Time is short. Jesus is coming back. Time is short. We better have some anticipation. We better reject any spirit of complacency that would try to come on us and say, no, now's not the time to get rocked to sleep in my Sunday rocking chair spiritually. I'm not going to sleep through the best years of my life spiritually, and I don't care what age you are. God's not done with you yet. You may say, well, I'm retiring. I'm on the edge of retiring. God's got work for you to do and people for you to reach. Stay encouraged. He's not done. You're not too young. You're not too old for, to be used by God. And so let's make it personal as I wrap up here. Reflection questions. Here's the reflection questions. We know what we're doing for our church. We're going we're gonna to shoot. We're going to keep on shooting. We're going to go after revival. But we've got to see revival personally before we can ever see it in our church and in the region. So here's the first one. What excuse have I made that's keeping me from God's will being done in my life? The king had all the excuses. I didn't feel like it, right? I, I'm not a good archer. Uh, I'm not a whatever, Okay. What excuses hold me back? Number two is this. What seemingly small act of obedience do I need to do so that God can bring revival? That small act of obedience may be making some adjustments in your personal life, but some of it may be grabbing an invite card and inviting someone. It may be praying for someone. Maybe texting them saying, hey, I'm praying for you right now. It may be inviting them to church and you never know what could come from it. church. I'm excited for the future. But the harvest is plentiful. That's what Jesus said. What's amazing is he said that thousands of years ago. And he said the time for harvest is now, thousands of years ago. How much more now, even so, than it was then. But harvest Ask any farmer. Harvest isn't time for sweet teas and front porches. Harvest is time for long days and dirty work. Let's get to work. Let's see the harvest. Not sit back and hope somebody else harvests the, the people and the things that God has put in our life. Now let's go after it. Let's choose revival over complacency. Walk in obedience. God will do the rest. Obedience is success. Let him handle the outcome. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we thank you once again for how good you are. I thank you for what you're doing in our, in our lives spiritually and in our spirits, stirring this desire for more of you. And God, that's our prayer as it's been for the last several months and weeks that we don't want more from you, God. We just want more of you. That's for our church. That's for our families. That's for our kids. That's for our future generations. We don't need more stuff, Lord. We have physical needs. Yes, I know, but Lord, you know that. But we know we're going to pursue you not the things that you want to give us. We're going to pursue you. We want more of you. We want more of your presence. We want to hunger for more of you. And Holy Spirit, I just release you right now to go to work in our lives. 
You are our helper. You are our comforter. You are there for us. You said that you would show us the things to come. And Lord, I pray that you would put that on our heart, that you would uh, put names even right now on our heart of people that we need to invite, people that we need to reach, people that we need to reach out to that we haven't in a while, people that we need to forgive to restart a relationship with. Lord, I pray that right now you begin to work in our lives. And Lord, I pray that we, even for our kids and our, our future kids and our grandkids, Lord, I pray that you would put a hunger in them as well for you. Holy Spirit, there's no junior Holy Spirit. We release you right now to work in their lives, right now, lighting a fire for them that they are more curious about you, more passionate about you, that they have the faith truly of a child. And because of their faith, Lord, we will see breakthrough and we will see life and we will see change and we will see progress for the kingdom, God. We thank you for it. We're just honored to be a part. Thank you for using us to help lead revival for the city of Tulsa and for the Bible Belt and for this region, God. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.